Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, last week we kicked off a series um, that you've already seen the graphic for uh, called In Formation. And I like wordplay simply because I think it helps things to stick. Uh, I think it, and plus I just like it. And so it serves two purposes. So personal amusement and help for you. And so, uh, but with that, as we were just looking at spiritual formation, um, that's a subject matter that a lot of people just like, that sounds intense, um, like spiritual formation. That sounds real difficult and challenging. And that's like, that's like Christian, like college and university. And, and the truth is, it's, it's not. It's, it's honestly, it's where we all should be. It's not even elementary school. It goes back to preschool. And the principles that we learned back when we were in our very first learning environments, um, those are the same principles that spiritual formation works through. And so we need to first kind of break off the mystery of spiritual formation. And when it gets down to it, spiritual formation is letting God and the work of the Holy Spirit form our lives. And the best thing I knew of and just thinking about the subject and whatnot is just good old Play-Doh. So just good old Play-Doh where it just, remember as kids, just had infinite possibilities. You know, we could smush it out and give it some wings and have a bird or I think that's a pterodactyl actually. It doesn't look like too birdish. And so, uh, or it would be a, a cloud or you could make a car and it was just all things were possible in our hands with that little Play-Doh. And so what we need to do when we understand spiritual formation is that sometimes it can feel like where we need to be is an impossible place and somehow we're just gonna have to figure out to just be where we are. And the truth is, is God has a plan to get you to where he wants you to get. You're not so far off track that he can't get you to where he wanted you to be all along. And if we will let him fully have access uh, to us and put ourselves in his hands, then he can, he can really move in our lives. If you got your notes, uh, if you got you follow along on, on digitally, however it's going, we're launching with this idea that to truly move forward in God, we must let him form our lives. We've got to let him form it. Not us trying to decide that we are going to form to what we believe his expectations are. If we would just let him be what the scriptures call Lord in our lives, him begin to have the, the rule and the reign and the direction, he will form in us what he is desiring to form in us. If you're new to Celebration Church, um, then we're about to, to bust open the scriptures and you're, you know, I want you to understand we don't always look at the message translation and you're like, oh my goodness, what's the matter with this church? They're looking at this, you know, not word for word translation of the scriptures. Um, And so, but we're doing this space with this on purpose. Uh, Because if you've been around church for a long time, you're going to be familiar with Romans 8.28. And a standard translation of Romans 8.28 is that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're familiar 
with that. And sometimes we can immediately kind of immediately go, okay, check mark. I get that. I understand where that applies in my life. I understand how to utilize that scripture. I understand what that means. And sometimes we need to go with a different translation of that. Um, to be able to just kind of jar us and relook at the scriptures. And so that's still what that means. Romans 8, 28 in the, little, in the more literal translations, it's still what it means. But we're going to use the message translation to kind of rock our boat a little bit and to kind of look at things from a different light. Because what will happen is we think of Romans 8, 28 as God's working all things for our good uh, that we take that and we go to that scripture when we find something that doesn't align with what we would call good. And we have some sort of point of pain. We have some sort port of catastrophe, some place where maybe we feel like we made a massive mistake and misstep. And we're like, okay, God, I know Romans 8, 28 says that you work all things for the good. And here is something that's not very good, God. And I kind of messed that up. And um, I need you to do something with that. Kind of Romans 8, 28 it for me. And, uh, and so, and I need you to kind of do something with that. And, and yes, he does. He does do those things. He, he takes all things. That is what is so amazing about putting our lives in God's hands is there's nothing wasted. Nothing. Even the places of pain. He won't waste your pain he won't waste any of it. He doesn't look at your life and begin to carve it out and go, whoo, what were you doing there? Oh, that relationship was a mistake. Um, okay, yeah, that, that career path. Why would you think you could do that? I did not gift you that way. And, and, and do all of those different things and go, okay, yeah, this is what I'm left to work with. I originally had a great big plan for your life, but you kind of blew a bunch of it. So now we're going to do this other plan. And so, no, that's not what he does. There's no point, there's no waste. He was able to take all of it and work it into something amazing and beautiful. And we tend to Romans 8, 28, those things that we think might end up on the cutting room floor of God coming through and editing our lives. But that's not what Romans 8, 28 says. Romans 8, 28 says he works all things for the good. We fixate on hoping something bad turns into good, that he's able to do that. But it doesn't say God takes all of your brokenness and turns it to good. No, it says takes all things, which includes your brokenness, but it means all things, all things. How often do you have all things? All the time. It's your whole life. It's all of it. It's constant. So this Romans 8, 28 isn't a place where you messed up and you made a mistake or somebody hurt you and something went wrong and you go, hey, God, let's do this Romans 8, 28 thing uh, and work things to the good. No, it's we should be getting up every day saying, God, I need that Romans 8, 28 thing today. That you're going to take all things. You're going to take today and work it to good. Lord, I give you today. I give you all of it. That is what spiritual formation looks like. Not saying, all right, you know what? I feel like I can do something with this. Here we go. Here we go. You know, we're going to do the old uh, snowman trick where, you know, I can roll it into a little ball and I can do that. And Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. God, I need some Romans 8, 28. Yeah, do your thing over there, Lord. And, uh, yeah, no, seriously, got to do something. And because, uh, uh, you know, I, I've got this. I, I can make my little, I can do that. I can stack that up. I can get stuff rolling over here. You know, no, God, you know, seriously, why don't you be doing something with all this over here? No, he wants to take all of it, put it in his hand, and give him the whole thing and let him work it. And we need to do that. Let's look at the message translation. Romans 8, 28, 29 in the message. 
That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Jesus is the original design. God is wanting us to come back into a place of of proper humanity, not the brokenness that we've done to ourselves and done to each other, but the humanity restored. And Jesus is the first in line of, of humanity restored. And when we want to see what God is trying to work in our lives, we simply look to Jesus. Jesus is the example of where God is taking us, that his original form on your life, you are uniquely made in the image of God. No one individual can fully take on the fullness of the image of God, but we are each can together begin to piece that together. That's why what God is wanting to do is put together the body of Christ, because the more each of us get restored more into what we were called to be, the more the world begins to see a better image of what our Heavenly Father looks like. Right now, let's just be honest. The world is getting a tattered view because we're not letting God really work his formation in us. But the more we lean into Jesus, the more he begins to shine through the body. Now, I'm sure you've done uh, a puzzle before. You know, you do what I do, and you open the puzzle, and you dump it out on the table. Uh, And then the very first thing I do is I set the box lid up so that I can see it real easily, so I can see what this is going to turn into. Now, when you look at the puzzle pieces, man, they're a mess. You know, they're all broken up. They're flipped all sorts of wrong ways. And, you know, then the first thing you do is just kind of scatter them all out. Push them around, then you start flipping them over, flipping them over, flipping them over. So you get all the color side up. The uh, if you ter- if you do a puzzle cardboard side up, you are a rock star. And so I could never do that. I need all the color and the picture and all that. So man, get all that, put the cardboard down, color up, and then what do we do from there? We look for the straight edges. Get all those, gather all of those, and then somebody said at the first place you start is you get the corners. There's only four of them. Man, I can get wins real quick. Okay, this one looks like this. This one looks like that. And begin to get those pieces together and then begin to get those straight edges. And I know exactly where to look, exactly where to compare and see, okay, yes, this one's going to go here and begin to put all of those things together. And we get that first outer edge formed and we feel like we're getting a win, and all of a sudden it now begins to look like something, and then the other messier stuff begins to come together as we move. We begin to do that. That's the way things begin in our own lives, in our own spiritual formation. We'll begin to get those four, those four corners in place, the, the hardcore places where God loves us and wants to transform our lives, the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives, that God will never leave us and forsake us. And, and we begin to get these different things down in our lives. And, and then we begin to get some of those edges and work. But it, the whole time, with every aspect of it, we're looking back to that original. Even with those four corners, which are so obvious, they're the only ones that look like that. 
we still are going back to that original place and looking. And the deeper we get in, the more intently we look at that original picture. The more we have to study that original picture. This is why we cannot for a second take our eyes off Jesus. We can't. You cannot have proper spiritual formation without constantly focusing on Jesus. You just can't. Because otherwise, we will begin to put our pieces together in a way that doesn't reflect where God is taking us. And so what we have to do is make sure all of those pieces come together. So that is the core thing of this spiritual formation. And so Jesus is our model. He is the model. He's shown us what we're going to do. And we need to understand this, that the love and grace that we let shape our lives becomes the baseline for the love and the grace that we extend to others. We, as we allow God's love and grace to work in us, that begins to be the love and grace that begins to work through us and into others. Um, Jesus was asked and uh, recognized that, you know, he, he at least knew a few things. He was a teacher. So one of the, one of the, the folks comes to him and says, teacher, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, if you think that obeying all the laws is what's going to make God happy, well, then you want to know which are the big ones. Which, which ones is he checking off first, you know? And so which are the greatest commandments? So they ask, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And they come back to love. Everything hangs on love. It doesn't have anything with what to do and what not to do. All of a sudden, it has focused on love. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, there begins to be the problem with that second one of loving our neighbor as ourself. Because so many of us have a place where we don't really love us. We know us too well. We know too many details of our own story. We know places where we could have done things better or done things. And maybe we've presented a case on the outside. Maybe everybody else is convinced of something else. But we know we know ourselves better than anybody else. And we'll have a hard time loving ourselves. There are those who would actually say that this, uh, you know, social media generation is this, this narcissistic, self-absorbed generation. And there's certainly some aspects of that. But what I really believe is the reason that there is such this pull for a generation to be able to post something and get likes and comments and all of those things and risk getting the negative feedback, risk getting the, the heckling, risk those things, isn't because they love themselves so much and they're so narcissistic, it's that they're so devoid of affirmation, so devoid of a little bit of love that they will take a tool and a pick and begin to put it out there and somebody please like me, somebody please love me, somebody please tell me this outfit looks good, somebody please tell me this trick I did was awesome, somebody please do this and that is this constantly trying to harvest something out of technology that only comes through relationship. 
That is why technology will never, ever, ever take care of what happens in these kind of spaces. Never, never. You cannot get love through that. You can only get love through direct contact with people. And yes, you can have some real conversations through texting and those kinds of things, but eventually you're gonna have to have face-to-face contact with people. And, we, and that is how we're wired and that is how we are built. And sadly, there's so much pain and there's so much brokenness out in the world where people who don't haven't learned to love and appreciate the amazing image of God that they are and they don't love and appreciate the image of God that they are and are trying to gain love from an outside source. Instead of allowing love to flow in and through them and be loved by God and understand that they are loved fully, they begin to go out and try to harvest love. And it goes like this in our culture all the time. We have some sort of place of brokenness in our family, which came from our parents' brokenness and all of that just generation after generation. We, we, we can track it all the way back to Adam and Eve is the truth. And so we can carry it all the way back. And there's just this place where then we have our own brokenness and we don't love ourselves and we haven't really learned to be loved by God, but we so desire love and so we want somebody to love us. So then we go out or we go and connect and somebody cute begins to throw us a little attention. We're like, oh, right, you know, I could be loved by you. All right. And, um, and so, you're, so then you're like, all right, then, you know, get together, have a couple of dates and all of that goes well. I feel affirmed. I feel seen. I feel cared for. And now I want this um, so, both as we, so long as we both shall live. And uh, let's put a ring on it. Let's just, let's just do this thing because, man, you just make me feel so loved. And I'm needing your love. And there's so many songs that are written about it. I need your love. I just want to be loved by you, just by you, nobody else but you. And it is... <laughs> And then just sitting there trying to harvest it, which when honestly the relationship should be, is it should be, you know what? I want to love you the rest of my life. When I stand couples up and we do weddings, I said, what you're committing here today is not to try to harvest love out of them. You're committing to love them. The vows are one-sided. I don't know if you noticed that. The vows are one-sided. You stand up and you say what you're gonna do. They're not conditional. It's not if you do it, then I'm going to do this. No, you stand up and you say, I'm going to do this. And then the other person says, I'm going to do this. And hopefully they both live it out. And so, but there's this place where then all of a sudden that this, your, this source of love has a rough day and comes home is a little snippy, a little gruff, doesn't throw the love that you wanted and so then you begin to shut off and they needed, they had had a rough day and they were, you were their source of love, and you got cold, and you pushed off, and then all of a sudden now there's just things begin to spiral out of control because these two people that were trying to harvest love out of each other all of a sudden got disconnected and things begin to go sideways when really what we are created for is to be loved by God and allow him to love us. And instead of having our little suction hoses of love trying to suck some over here and suck some over there, we're supposed to allow God to pump it into us, fill us up and pour it out and it splash on everybody around us. 
That's what it's supposed to look like. So then you have a couple who are allowing themselves to be loved by God, and they're being loved by God, and the love comes out. And I'm telling you what, that is one nice love shower all over the place. It is just love being rained everywhere, and everybody gets around them feels love, and the kids feel love. But as soon as we begin to be love harvesters, man, all of a sudden it begins to shift. That's not the way God created it to be. In fact, Jesus shows us the model of the way this is supposed to go in John 15. It says, as the Father has loved me. That's it. As the Father has loved me, Jesus is convinced he's loved. He didn't show up here on the planet to do miracles and to do things and everybody go, oh my goodness, Jesus, this is amazing. This is the best miracle bread I've ever had. You need your own cooking show. This is amazing. And so, you know, Jesus, you know, oh man, he opened the eyes of the blind, did all this, his teachings, bam, Jesus, amazing. Jesus did not show up for that. Jesus showed up not to be loved by others, but to begin to pour out his love on others. That was why he showed up. That is why he came. And that is the whole point. He says, and as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This love and obedience are interconnected. We tend to connect obedience with punishment. Like if you don't obey, you're gonna get, you're gonna get punished. So on the way to a, out of town yesterday, my wife was like, don't speed. We don't need the punishment. And, uh, and so, and I was sitting there and feeling late and trying to not speed on the way to the graduation, not because of love, but because of a fear of punishment. And so, but, and that's, we tend to associate those things, but Jesus associates love and obedience and they go hand in hand and that's really the way it should be. And if we think about, you know, when I was growing up and helping my dad with projects and, you know, changing something on the car and I'm sitting there with my dad and, and you know, 10-year-old Brandon and sitting there waiting on the commands and, and he says, hey, uh, you know, I need, uh, uh, I need a, the socket wrench. And so the, there's two different responses could happen there. It could be, man, I better scramble and get this socket wrench because I don't want dad crawling out from under that car. If he has to come out from under that car after that socket wrench himself, I'm just going to run. I'm just going <laughs> to keep going down 47th Street and just going to roll. And so, and, uh, and so and I could, it could be one response. It could be one response. And he could, get the, he could get the socket right in his hand. Um, or there could be another response that has me put a socket in his hand. It could be the fact that my dad's under this car and, and he's trying to make sure it runs for our family and I want to be able to be able to, my dad says he needs a socket wrench and I want to provide that socket wrench. Love says I'm going to put that socket wrench in his hand. Both are obedience. One is out of love and out of connection. One other is out of fear of punishment. And so where Jesus wants us to walk in this place of obedience isn't this I love you, but I'm God. I love you, but do what I say, because I'm God, and you know. No, it's simply out of love. It is simply 100% out of love. Obedience and love, operating and connecting and operating out of obedience, out of love, is the highest level of obedience. 
And so we've got to understand that. Everything we connect with is there. We mean to make sure we're in the process of us pursuing this idea of our relationship with God in everything that we make sure we don't, in the process, lose a connection with the, with the one in our skin that God died for. Because God died for you. Jesus died for you. And sometimes we can begin to connect with everybody else. But here in Luke chapter 9, verse 25, it says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and let yet lose or forfeit his very self? How sad would be that if you effectively loved every person on the planet but you? That'd be a tragedy. That'd be a tragedy because God so desperately loves you. So to be able to do that, we need to understand this and we must be willing to forgive ourselves. Love can only go as far as forgiveness goes. Offenses will come. That's why God dealt with the forgiveness issue straight off the bat. And that is why the understanding our forgiveness in Christ is so important that we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, that it was simply given to us because then forgiveness is taken care of so that we can grow in this place of love. And so we need to understand that. And so to be able to do that in your own skin, you have to forgive yourself because there are gonna be places where, man, things are just gonna get in the way. You're gonna get in the way of you more than anybody else. Now, there was something that was amazing happened last Saturday. Now, I'm not a big sports freak, big sports aficionado. There are some of you that you watch sports all the time. I, I couldn't hardly tell you any professional golfers right now. Um, but there was something amazing happened May 15th in the world of golf. There was a, a guy, and I see now I can't, I can't even remember his name. There it is, Richard Bland. And so Richard Bland, this last week, um, on May 15th, won the British Masters. Goes into the final round, ends at 13 under par, and has to then go in, and is tied with another dude who's 13 under par, and has to go into this uh, final shootout against this guy, a sudden death thing. And what's amazing is Richard Bland, this was his very first tour victory. He had never won a professional golf tour ever. But he had been in 477 tour tournaments. Richard Bland is 48 years old and won his first one. And this is his face when he found out he won. Just look at it. You tell the dude's about to cry. He is elated. He is overwhelmed. He is unbelief. Just, just the look on his face, the emotions that are right there. Uh, you just see it on his face. The guy that he beats in sudden death is a guy who is 24 years old. This guy's 48 years old. The guy he beats was not even born when he played his first tournament. Tournament one out of tournament 478. His opponent he, he beats for his victory was not even born on tournament one. Was not even born. And he goes into this and he plays for all of these decades, having to recertify over and over again because he doesn't win. And so everything is telling him he doesn't belong on the tour. He doesn't belong on the tour. He has to go back, play again, recertify, re-get his card like 17 different times 
Because the only way to for sure be allowed on the tour the next two years is to have got a win somewhere along the way. And he doesn't get a win. 477 times this guy does it. And he becomes, last weekend, the oldest man to have ever won his first tour victory at 48 years old. How was he able to hang on to a dream, to pursue a dream like that? For all of those years with 477 losses under his belt till 478 shows up and he gets a win. Is that he had to be willing to forgive himself. He had to be willing to forgive his previous plays, his previous botched opportunities. Can you imagine the pressure? He steps in for a sudden death hole. He's going up against a 24-year-old who feels like he's got the tiger by the tail. He's ready to rock and roll. This guy's sitting up there, and he's like, I've never won, and I have to sit up here and play this dude. It's no, everybody's looking at me and this dude, and he has to tee off that with nothing but a history of loss in his mind, if he would have allowed it. But instead, he tees off and says, guess what? This is my day. Doesn't do anything ama- amazing. Gets a par on that hole. The other young buck chokes. Gets a bogey. He wins his first victory. But he had to be willing to forgive. Sometimes early on we can go, you know what? I'm a novice. I'm learning at this. You know what? Sorry, sweetheart. I'm new at being a husband. Still learning. You're going to have to forgive. Year five, sorry, sweetheart, I'm still pretty new at being a husband. Remember, we were going to do this the rest of our lives in the scope of the rest of our lives. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty cruddy as a husband at four, five years, but you know what? I'm still learning. Uh, year 15, sorry, sweetheart, I'm just now getting my legs under me, you know. You're going to have to kind of be forgiving here, you know. And, and so, but this guy is sitting here and just would, it's early on, sometimes we, early on we can be super self-forgiving, but to pursue something over the course of a lifetime, at some point, the, those things, those stories, and those things begin to speak to us louder sometimes than the voice of God. And we need to allow God's voice to speak the loudest, and I need to hurry. Second Peter 1, verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sin. We have to be as aware of God's love and forgiveness on day and year 477 of our walk with God as we were on day one. We have to stay aware of his love and forgiveness. So how do we do that? We stay focused on grace. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God that teaches sal- <clears throat> that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord 
of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Grace teaches us to say no. Grace isn't license to just go ahead and just keep doing destructive things because I'm forgiven and God loves me. And so, no, grace, real grace, when you're aware of his love and grace, it teaches us to say no. It teaches us to trust him and say, you know what? I'm gonna step into this place and do in life differently, not because I'm, a, I'm afraid of your punishment, but because I'm convinced of your love. And if you said this is good for me and that's not, well, then I'm gonna go that way, whether I feel like it or not, because I'm convinced of your love for me. That is how grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Romans 2, 4 says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? So how do we do that? We stay in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And what does the Spirit do? Well, the fruit of the Spirit grows this in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against any of those types of things. And then we're about to read 1 Corinthians 13, and we're so used to this. We've been in church for a while, and we think of this on the front of dealing with each other. It's the love chapter, okay? We're gonna see the definition of love, but I want you to right now, I don't want you to think about loving everybody else because remember it says we gotta love our neighbor as we love ourselves, okay? And so you gotta let this kind of love be expressed to you, okay? So I want you to read this as in allowing this kind of love to be expressed towards you. Love is patient. Mm. How much better would your overall mental health be if you were patient with you? How much pressure would just go away if you were patient with you? If you were just patient with you, it would change our world. Love is kind. What if you were kind to yourself? Here's the truth. I, I, I'm, I am meaner to me than I am to anybody else. I'm harsher to me than I am to anybody else. I don't call other people names. I call me names all the time. Idiot, stupid. I do it to myself all the time. The Holy Spirit rebukes me. I'll call my kid that. I'd say it to somebody else. Somebody else calls my kid stupid. I'm like, you better hush. I don't want me calling his kid stupid. Me calling his kid an idiot. And I will. I'll get frustrated. Why? Because I know I should have done better. I know I could have done better. And I begin to not act in love towards myself. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. You're like, how do you envy yourself? There's so many places where you can look back and see a place in your life where maybe you did a little better or made a little better decision or responded a little better way and be wanting to go back to that and looking back to that and envious of an old you. And all of a sudden now you're stuck in a past place. It does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. What if you gave up the score sheet on yourself? What would that look like? What would that look like? 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. How do you delight in evil in your own life? You do it this way. When something bad happens, you go, I deserved it. I deserved that. That's how you delight in evil in your own life. Yeah, yeah, no, that finally caught up to me. I deserved it. No, you have to let go of that mess. You have to let go of it. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Our bottom line is this, that God forms us by his grace. Grace isn't step one of a relationship with God. And then we get into some sort of serious stuff down the road. Grace is the serious stuff. It is so serious, grace required. Jesus coming and allowing humanity to just throw all its anger, all its violence, everything right at Jesus, and death itself got sucked up into grace. The only thing that beat death, hell, and the grave was grace. Grace is the most serious thing you'll ever deal with. It's not petty, it's not small, it's not the beginning place. It is what transforms us. You have to fully embrace grace. God forms us by his grace. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.